You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. First Samuel chapter 24, we're finishing up the chapter here. It says, and now I know, and this is Saul still speaking to David, And he concedes in verse 20, and now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So this request from Saul reveals his fear. He's afraid for the safety of his family because in those days, the normal fleshy thing to do when you depose a king just to make sure that nobody will depose you is to kill him and his whole family. You see that when you go through the book of Kings, happen again and again. They killed him and they found all his 70 kids and grandkids and killed them too. And so Saul is is afraid of this, that David would do this because that's what he would do. And that would be the the normal fleshy thing to do. But now he's seeing in David, there's something in this guy that's supernatural, that's not fleshy, and it's God's anointing in his life. And it's his obedience to God over his fleshly urges and desires. And so Saul's fear is revealed in this request. He's afraid for his well, his own safety and the safety of his family and the continuation of his name. He wants to see his name continue on. And it says in verse 22, so David swore to Saul. David could have said, forget you, man. (laughs) I'm not gonna swear that to you. You're trying to kill me. I'm going after your whole family. You and your family are going down, man. But instead, he swears to Saul. He says, I swear to you, Saul, that I will not cut off your descendants after you. And so Saul goes home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. How come David didn't just go, okay, sweet, let's go back home together. Come on, Saul, woohoo. Because it didn't work before, remember? (laughs) He's smart enough now. He's not naive like he used to be. It used to be that Saul would throw a spear at him and he'd go, oh man, that was crazy. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow at work tomorrow. You know, thinking, I guess he was just in a bad mood that day. But now he's like, no, I don't trust this guy and what he says. And so he goes back to the stronghold. And David's wise in doing that because Saul's repentance is not long-lasting. And Saul will once again be chasing David down. Now, when we look at Galatians chapter 5, we see the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. Galatians 5 tells us the the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And when we look at this story and the, the entire story really of Saul and David, we see Saul is exhibiting many of the works of the flesh in his life, whereas David is exhibiting many of the fruits of the Holy Spirit in his life. And if you look at that list, and this is Galatians chapter 5, it says in verse 19, 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. Now we're going to get into some of these things that are really evident in Saul. Hatred, uh, contentions, which are conflicts, jealousies. Saul's jealous of David. Outbursts of wrath. He's chucking spears and trying to kill him. Selfish ambitions. I don't want to let go of the throne and the kingdom. I'm going to hold on to it. Dissensions. These are harmful disagreements. And he's, he's guilty of these things. Heresies. Verse 21, envy, murders. We've seen these things more and more evident in the life of Saul. And then drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, a believer who truly has received Christ as Savior and has the the Holy Spirit living inside of them is not going to continue to practice sin habitually the way that they used to. There's going to be a sanctifying factor in their lives. We call it being born again, a new life, right? Baptism, you go down in the water, the old life is gone, the sins are washed away, I'm buried with Christ, I come up from the water into newness of life, into a process of sanctification. And so those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. We see this in David's life. Joy, peace, long-suffering, which is patience. David has exhibited some incredible patience through these trials. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Remember, his, the testimony was said of him that who is more faithful, Saul, in your kingdom than your servant David? And then verse 23, gentleness. And what was really exhibited hugely in this story tonight was self-control. I want to kill him. Cut off his robe. But his heart troubled him. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. His heart troubled him because he's got the fruit of the Spirit in his life. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the exhortation to us tonight as believers. Don't be a Saul, be a David. Don't be a David, be a Jesus. (laughs) A little Christ, a Christian. And let's let It's so important that we as a church don't just have right doctrine. We can come here and we can teach right doctrine all all day long. If we're not living it out, friends, people won't be drawn to us. People won't care. We have to live it out. So be with Jesus. Have relationship with him. Because your willpower alone will not do the trick you got to have the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Walk in the Spirit that you may not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25, it says in verse 1, Then Samuel died, 
and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So the wilderness of Paran is much further south, um, a little deeper into the Negev desert. So you can look on your Bible map to find out where that is. <laughs> uh, Samuel here dies after this wonderful long ministry being the last judge in Israel and a wonderful prophetic ministry from the Lord, uh, unlike anything that we've seen before him, and he dies. But you know what is interesting? Is that this is not the last that we're gonna see of Samuel. He's actually gonna come up from the dead to speak some words. So hold on to your hats for that one. And you know, honestly, for the believer, when somebody dies, it's not the last that we see of any of them because there is a resurrection from the dead. And Jesus said, he who lives and believes in me will never die, never die. And so praise God for that. This is not the last that we will see of Samuel. In fact, we get to see Samuel in heaven. And that's gonna be one of the most amazing things in heaven is to be able to see all the biblical examples in the Bible and be able to go up to him and talk to him and say, hey Samuel, I've been wanting to talk to you about something. What was it like when you got a word from God here on this earth that was so specific and hear it from his own mouth? It's gonna be really cool. It's not gonna be nearly as cool as being in the presence of God Almighty and sitting down with Jesus Christ himself, amen? Verse two, now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. Uh, so this, this Carmel's not to be confused with Mount Carmel, which is on the coast where Elijah had his, his, uh, you know, his conflict with the, the prophets of Baal. But this Carmel is inland, and it's very close to Maon, a little bit south of Maon. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. So we have a mismatch here. We have a contrast. We have a woman who is of good understanding. She's an intelligent woman. She's a wise woman, and we're gonna really dig into that and see that as we continue to read. She's a wonderful example to be studied, whether you're a man or a woman, and look at her characteristics and uh, her wisdom in action and learn from it. So like Ruth, she is, is a woman here in the Bible to really take example from. Now, by contrast, she was married to a man who was harsh or heavy-handed. He had a roughness about him with his employees, as we're going to see, and most likely with her as well. He was a difficult man to live with and to work for. It says that he was evil in his doings. In the King James, he was a son of Belial. 
meaning uh, he, was, he was just a wicked guy, a wicked man. And so it then says that he was of the house of Caleb. Poor Caleb. Caleb was a great guy. <laughs> and uh, Nabal didn't, uh, didn't live up to his family name here. Verse 4, when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Verse 8 Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son, David. Now, this was the time of shearing, and it was a festive time. Just like we've studied the time of uh, threshing, right? Reaping and threshing, bringing in the harvest, was a time of celebration and joy, so was the time of sheep shearing. It's when the fruits came in, and then they shear the sheep, and, and those big puffy sheep that were so squeezable all of a sudden look all thin and scrawny running around. But they have lots and lots of wool that can be then sold off, and they could make their goods from the wool. And so Nabal was in this business, and he had lots of sheep, and he made lots of money in this way. So when it was time to shear those sheep, it was a great time of rejoicing. Boy, the ship is coming in, so to speak. Let's celebrate. So they would have a great feast. Now, David and his men had protected Nabal's men from harm and protected the flocks. Now, whether it be from raiders you know, because after all, we just read recently that the Philistines were out and they would raid the threshing floors, right? The bullies were about. So it was good to have protection from the local bullies who say, give me all your lunch money. And then there were also wild beasts and things that could come and wolves that could come and eat the sheep. Um, and of course, David's men might have been inclined to take a sheep here or there on their own, but David prevented any of that from happening, and they didn't lose anything. So David acted as a protector for Nabal's flock. Now, verse 9, it says, so when David's, oh, so anyway, because he did this, he's asking his servants, and it's time of feasting, there's lots of extra and excess, he says to his servants, look, go to Nabal, ask him if we can have some food for our men. You know, it's a time of feast, I know there's excess, he's in prosperity, we've done this good deed for him, and in that culture, this was not an unreasonable request. It would have been very normal uh, for him to make this request and for Nabal to grant it. Now, in verse 9, it says, So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers? 
and give it to men when I do not know where they are from. And so there's this lack of generosity. There's a lack of gratitude for what David and his men have done for him. And, you know, granted, Nabal was perhaps in a difficult situation here because, you know, if you help out David, that might make Saul mad at you and you could be in trouble with Saul. But his response was really rude. You know, he could have said, David, God bless you and God bless your men, but I'm in a tough situation here and it wouldn't be right for me. He could have, but instead, he just acted rudely. He acted harshly. He acted like the insolent man that he was and that he was known to be. He was rude, demeaning, and disrespectful and reproached David to his men. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, as Christians, God wants us to be kind and to be tender-hearted. He does not want us to be harsh and rude. You know, we train up our children, hopefully, and our grandchildren, hopefully, to say please and to say thank you. Let's remember our pleases and thank yous. Let's remember to give people a smile. You know, a smile goes a long, long way. In fact, psychologists have studied this. I was at a Phillips training conference when I was working for Phillips, and uh, this psychologist got up and spoke. And he talked about the importance of smiling, that he went in as a consultant to a hospital that had really low morale. Nobody was happy working there. They just implemented a couple things. Number one, uh, write down five things you're thankful for in the morning. And number two, smile at each other. And the morale just went up, up, up. Because it seemed, it's like, wow, when you act happy, you become happy. Isn't that an interesting thing? And so, you know, a smile is a reaction to how you're feeling. I feel happy. But a smile can also impact the way that you're feeling as you just make yourself smile, even if you're not feeling it. So I encourage you as a Christian to be kind. It's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, kindness. And work on, on that if that's something that you struggle with. If you just kind of grew up in a harsh home or whatever and you find yourself acting that way too, what do you want? Start, you know, catch yourself in that. I catch myself in it. We all get in bad moods, don't we? But here, this man, Nabal, is an example of someone who's just harsh and not acting like a believer and is rude to David and disrespectful. And so we get to verse 12 now. It says, so David's young men turned on their heels. That means they went the other way and went back and they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword and David also girded on his sword And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. And so we're going to find out very quickly that David's intention is to kill Nabal and all the males of his household, because he is so upset, so mad, 
so angry. And we wonder why. Well, the Bible doesn't say, but we do know the nature of man. And we know that David was sinful. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've been so impressed with his behavior to this point. You know, David and Goliath, an opportunity to kill Saul in the cave, but didn't, you know? And I can't help but wonder, and this is conjecture, speculation, but I know sometimes when I do the right thing, the humble thing, later on I think about it and go, man, I looked like a wimp in front of everybody just then, you know? Perhaps David got some ribbon from his men later on. Dude, you could have killed Saul. Did you get scared? Book, 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 book. <laughs> you know, whatever. But now David is confronted with a similar situation. But this is not the king of Israel, the anointed of God. This is just some rich guy that's disrespecting him. So he girds on his sword and encourages his men to do the same. And they go out to take these guys out and avenge themselves. Romans 12, 19, we read it last week. Let's read it again. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Let it go by. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It belongs to him. He can justly repay. And notice here that that is a promise. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So we can give it to God when we're being wronged, leave it in his hands, and let him repay in his time, in his time. Now remember Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And so God could also give us that heart when we are wronged, to even ask forgiveness for the person who's wronged us. Now, verse 14, it says, Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master. And he reviled them. It shows you the attitude of his heart and the attitude that was you know, his tone of voice, as they greeted him with friendliness, he came back at them, reviling them. Verse 15, but the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. Verse 16, they were a wall to us both by night and day. All the time we were with them keeping the sheep. This was no small thing as these men were shepherding the sheep that David actually had some of his men posted through the night to help watch and protect the sheep. Verse 17, Now therefore know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel. Again, a son of Belial or a worthless and wicked man that one cannot speak to him. So Nabal was unapproachable as a leader. 
and he was unreasonable in this situation, he would not hear anyone. He would not take counsel. Friends, be approachable and be reasonable as much as you can. Listen. When I was a junior high teacher, it was hard to do that sometimes. I always wanted to be approachable, so I would always keep my doors open after school and things, and kids can come in and, and talk for a while and stuff like that. But I remember, you know, sometimes when I was younger, not being able to reason or to share my thoughts or opinion, you know? And that was frustrating to me when I had a, someone not allow that. And so when I became a junior high teacher, I always tried to listen to those students. And you know what? It takes work. You want to just say, sit down, shut up, and listen to me. Ah. But being able to stop and listen and hear their side of the story and hear what's going on and talk about it and having the, the humility to understand, well, maybe I didn't see things, the whole picture, the way I should have. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.